You're listening to Business Stories with Ryan Arcarachi, where I speak to business professionals from all walks of life. Thanks for listening, and let's get to it. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's Ryan here. Uh, when it comes to franchising and franchisors emerging and growing, there can be a lot to understand uh, and get your head around when it comes to franchise law. And I think a lot of people overlook it. Maybe you think there's some things you don't really have to think about or worry about, but when it comes to legal matters, uh, franchising law is extremely important in terms of compliance and making sure you're up to date on everything. So I'm excited to bring on the show Javier Esteve with Charter Law Group. Javier is here to talk about franchise law and all of his experience with it. So Javier, thanks for being here. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to have you. You've got pretty extensive experience in in law and franchising. So can you talk to us about your background a little bit? Yeah. uh, So actually, my background for this particular role that I have um, started before I went to law school. Um, I got an MBA and um, my family owns a catering company. Before that, my my grandpa owned businesses in Puerto Rico, uh, where my family's from. And um, so I, I've always wanted to be involved in business. Um, but my first job out of law school was actually um, in criminal defense and uh, working for the public defender's office. And I was there for a couple of years and knew immediately that I had to get back to the business side of things. And um, found the role with uh, what's what's now Charter Law Group. Um, previously, it was Rhoda Chalfont. And, um, you know, we had some organizational changes at the beginning of the year and, um, you know, afforded me the opportunity to move into kind of my role now, which is uh, the operating partner uh, for the firm. Very interesting. Okay. So when we look into, you know, People want to buy people who are listening to this that want to buy a franchise or are interested in emerging brands. There's a lot to think about, I think, on in terms of the contract contractual agreements and things like that. Can you talk to us about sort of what are some key things to look out for as you're as you're looking to buy a brand just to cover yourself and make sure you're making the best decision possible? Oh, of course. So the first thing I always recommend is always have an attorney. Um, review it, not just because I'm an attorney and that benefits me, but um, there's lots of really good attorneys out there. And I I, I think um, unless you're comfortable or very experienced reading contracts and contractual clauses, you should always have an attorney review it. Um, but what I think people should look for, um, you should be careful for when you're trying to buy a brand are you know, clauses where that are overly restrictive and what you can do. Um, it's very natural. It's very normal in the franchise relationship. The franchisor wants to protect their brand, but what um, you want to look out for is how much you're going to be paying. So where they can charge you fees, what fees they are, how much they are, you know, um, if the franchisor has an item 19, um, that's something you're going to want to review with some business professionals, preferably your accountant. Um, so that you see kind of what what they are telling you that you should be expecting to make. Um, those are the most that's really the most important thing, what you're going to pay and what you're going to make. Now, um, you know, the role of the attorney and and if I were to have a client who came in and wanted me to review the FDD and the franchise agreement, um, you know, my role is to point out to you what is good, what is bad, what is normal, what is not normal. 
Um, you know, if there's structure, uh, payment structure is a little bit different than typical. If there's any minimum payments or maximum, um, you know, maximum uh, payments, I guess, in the sense of, you know, like a brand fund, for example, that usually has a maximum over the lifetime of the contract that they could charge you. So that's good to know. Um, so those are the kinds of things we look out for. And if we flip the coin on the franchisor side, um, do you find that a lot of franchisors miss the mark uh, and they don't really understand a lot of the compliance things going on and what, 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 what should they be doing to make sure they are following the legal regulations and, and really up to speed with everything. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that they miss the mark. I think some of them maybe accidentally step in it, yeah. um, you know, with it, unintentionally. I, right. I I very I think it is very very minimal the amount of franchisors who are out there actually trying to deceive people. Right. Um. But but yeah, I, I think it does happen. But uh, by and large, most of the time, it's a it's a well intentioned franchisor who maybe just isn't as familiar with the rules or some of the nuances within the rules. And and to them, what I would say is, you, you know, in most cases, you had an attorney prepare your FDD. Just work with your attorney to, um, you know, kind of explain to you where you can kind of push your sales tactics and where you shouldn't push your sales tactics. Um, I, you know, my firm, we take a very high level uh, educationally with our clients. So a lot of our clients are emerging franchisors. So we do a lot of education with them as we're building the FDD, kind of explaining to them why they can do certain things, why they shouldn't do, you know, others and um, helping them build their system in a manner that will make it easiest for them to fall within the compliance rules. Right. Where do you think they they don't quite, or what are they? What do you, where do you think they mostly make mistakes or just don't understand? What areas do you feel like they don't understand very well, or where do you see most of the hiccups happen? Yeah, the, the easiest answer is um, in with the financial performance representations, right? So um, the financial performance representation rules are actually very broad and they're um, actually very limited in scope, but they cover a broad range in terms of interpretation. And so when a franchisor makes a financial performance representation, the rule says that they are limited to only what is in that financial performance representation, right? And so um, where I find people fall into the trap is they might make a financial performance representation and then somebody asks them a question that does have to do with their finances and they end up answering maybe a different question that ultimately provides a representation that they did not provide. Mm -hmm. So it's a technicality and it's really easy to kind of fall into that um, trap because you don't realize it a lot of times. And sometimes you're just giving out information you shouldn't, but um, that's where I see most of the time. Plus it answers everybody's, every buyer's favorite question, right? Every buyer's favorite question is how much money can I make off of this? Right. And so if, if you didn't provide a financial performance representation, you can't even answer it, which a lot of times will um, disinterest a buyer. And then if you did, but 
you know, you want to kind of get into your sales spiel and you accidentally provide too much information, um, you could also get in trouble that way. So it's just a really easy one um, to kind of to kind of make a mistake on. And it, it's it can be a very uh, expensive and catastrophic mistake uh, if you do that too much. I want to ask you too, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of options for franchise attorneys out there. Um, what do you think separates charter from a lot of other groups out there? How, how do you feel like you guys differ? Yeah. So what, what makes us really different is that when we, when we founded the firm, the founding partners, one was general counsel who um, actually was on your show a few weeks ago, Drew Chalfant yeah. was general counsel for cycle bar and, um, the other one was one of the founding, one of the owners of the group that owned Cycle Bar. And um, he's still involved. And ultimately, what sets us apart is um, we say in the office, we've been there before. So we we all, we all we work together with, uh, his name's Joe Rhoda. We work together with Joe to uh, basically find, you know, tap into that experience of having developed an extremely successful system, right? So Cycle Bar sold thousands of units. I, I really can't remember the exact number, but they're, I mean, they're out there. Um, went international and everything, went all the way from, you know, being a new franchising entity all the way through exit with a private equity buyout and everything. So every part of the life of the life cycle of a franchise system uh we've had the experience of of managing in some way and so you know we have that experience and we did it as franchisors rather than just attorneys so now we're in an attorney only position uh but we have that unique insight into what it's like to be the actual franchisor that's interesting so when you look at a brand like that what do you think what do you think are the key factors of success? Because I look at it from my perspective, which is with client tether, it's the it's the technology, right? You need technology to manage your expansion, your growth, your leads, your communication. I, I would say that's a part of it, but like, what else do you feel like would support that? So I, I really think having um, good people who understand uh, what the client wants is the most important thing. Um, you know, the technology is great. I obviously looked into, I've looked into Tether. I, I'm still trying to figure out how we make that work for the, for the law firm. Um, and we'll talk about that offline, but, yeah. Yeah. um, but, uh, no, I, I think it's really important for how, and at least in the law firm context is to have attorneys who one can do a good job, right. Uh, our first and foremost, if you don't do a good job, it doesn't really matter if you have friendly attorneys. Mm -hmm. Um, but but after that, it's being able to actually create a relationship and, you know, know what your client wants intuitively without having to ask them, you know, 10,000 questions each time they ask you something um, where that way they can just send you something and you know, okay, this is what I, this is what they want. Right. Yeah. And, and so you can start preparing and that comes over time, but you know um, when you're a good people person, you can, you can really push that forward, um, that timeline forward a little bit quicker and um, develop those relationships quicker, which I think leads to a much healthier client relationship. Yeah. 
how how do you how would you describe your client experience like working with you? I mean, how do you you said you've, you're kind of intuitive with things and you're in tune with what they want, but kind of walk us through like how does that typically grow? How does that happen? Yeah, I, I would say you know not everybody's the same. So yeah, over generalizing most of the relationships that I've built. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, generally speaking, it takes a couple calls just to kind of get back, get into knowing each other, kind of what they want, what's important to them. And, um, you know, I tell everybody on the first call how I like to work. I'm, I'm not the kind of attorney that checks in on you constantly. You know, I, I think that, uh, all of my clients are busy professionals and, the last thing they need is me harassing them. Right. And, um, you know, week, week by week, unless we're on a tight deadline, but, uh, generally speaking, I let my clients just be themselves and, um, I fit into their schedule. So, um, the way I like to work is we have our, our call. We each say, we're going to do a couple things. Um, if in a reasonable timeline, I haven't heard from you, you know, I might follow up with you and, um, or I'll let you just go ahead and follow up with me when you're ready to proceed, kind of just judging by the way our first couple calls went. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that might not be the what works for everybody, but I think um, it, I'm just allowing, I feel that it's important to allow the clients to kind of direct the pace of the work, especially when we're balancing a lot of work. So, um, you know, if they're ready to move forward, I, I'm happy to push that forward and build that relationship. Um, you know, just emphasizing the things that they want to emphasize. Yeah. I mean, it's a little, I don't want to say laid back approach, but it's more adjusting to their flow and what they like. Yeah. Right. Laid back is good. I mean, that's kind of what I go for, but yeah. it's, uh, it's really hard to do when you're an attorney. Cause obviously you're, you're always on edge. Um, yeah worst case scenario popping in your mind, but I, I try to be um, pretty laid back about letting my clients determine how quickly or how slowly they want to approach this. Cause it is, I mean, starting, especially when you're starting a franchise, right. It, it is a completely separate business. There are a whole lots of different things that you have to consider that don't even cross your mind when you are running your actual business. Right. And I think a lot of people are kind of surprised by the amount of information that um, that ends up coming out in our first couple of meetings that will that are is new to them or about their own business that they've never had to think about. And sometimes that can new things are scary. And, right. um, you know, it's easy to put off to the side when when you're not 100 percent certain about it. And so, you know, you just have to <clears throat> you sometimes you just have to let people take the leap of faith when they're ready. And, um, you know, you guide them. That's, that's one of the things we try to focus on is, um, being there to support you and to guide you, but, um, I'm not going to be the one to, to drag you. Right. Yeah. Now we talked about earlier too. So we're coming up on the end of 2023. It's hard to believe it's already happening, but we're in mid October right now and two more months, it's going to be the end of the year, which is crazy to think, but uh, we're getting to the point where this renewal season, I guess, in the franchising world. And you want to, we want to talk a little bit about that. What are some of the things franchisors should be thinking about when you get to this, this time or this, this, uh, you know, this end of year wrap up time? Yes. Yeah, so um, 
Thank you for mentioning that. The renewals are really important. Everybody has to renew, you know, uh, within 120 days of the end of their fiscal year. Most people use the calendar. So that means by the end of April every year, you have to renew and refile in, in most of the states um, if you are filed in, in the registration states. And uh, what that we what that means, or what we recommend for you this time of year, is to start engaging your auditors now. Um, you want to know so that there's not uh, come at the beginning of next year a surprise bill from an auditor. You want to know more or less what to expect that you're going to have to pay by by the in the next couple months. Mm-hmm. You know, and start preparing your your documents so that at the end of the year, when you close your books, you can get them over to the auditor as, as quickly as possible to um, complete those audits so that you can, you can start the renewal process. Um, much like taxes, the closer it gets to the deadline, the busier we get and yep. the harder it is to respond and or take on new clients. So if you are unhappy with your current attorney or are just looking, looking for an attorney altogether, um, you know, call us, we will, we will be happy to help you talk to you, work through renewals with you. And um, the renewals are, you know, they can be complicated and they can also be really simple, just kind of depending on the size of your system. And if you're going to change anything from what you've been doing. But um, yeah, the most important thing for us is making sure that you are starting the process as early as possible so that, you know, you're not trying the last two weeks of April to start the process to um, get your documents renewed in time so so that you don't have to go dark in the sales process. Yeah, that's interesting. Is there anything else outside of it? Sounds like that's more on the two on the financial end. Is there anything else that emerging brands or brands in general should be focused on? during the renewal time is it like with FDDs or franchisee yeah, relationships, anything else? Yeah. I, I mean, you have to be careful with your sales relationship, right? So, um, and, and states, so state registrations typically run one year from when they're granted, um, depending on where you are, like when you register or when you are able to get registered, um, you, you have to kind of navigate, when you can, you have to stop selling or when you have to file for renewal, which may not be that April 30th deadline. Mm-hmm. And so you have to navigate that. Um, and you, you have to be careful that you're not, you know, uh, selling, even though the, the FDD is still good, that maybe your registration expired in one of the States and you didn't realize it. Um, your attorney should let you know, and that's really important. Um, and then the other part that I find that on the legal front that is really important is making sure that everybody knows that even though the you should try to be updating and renewing your FDD by the end of April, you don't have to, right? So I find a lot of emerging franchisors sometimes um, aren't ready really to renew, like they're renewing because we tell them, you know, if you want to keep selling, you have to renew, but you know, sometimes they just want to hit pause because maybe it was more expensive than they expected or um, too many things that there too many things going on with their regular business and they can't dedicate it to sales. You can just pause and we can restart it at any point in time that you want. Um, and, and that's another important thing that I think um, maybe gets overshadowed. But at least this time of year, you know, just start getting your paperwork in order, start getting your financials in order. 
and um, you know, be careful about about the deadlines that may or may not be coming um, towards the end of the year, uh, especially for the sales process. What are you finding that to, to keep things flowing smoothly with emerging brands, brand new brands that are that are very you know very green, let's say. What do you what are your, what are the things you think they should really maintain and make sure they're they're checking off the boxes of to make sure that they have a good smooth expansion things go well and there's no hiccups or bumps in the road. Oh, <laughs> or is that, that a too, too loaded of a, a question for you? <laughs> that's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it just kind of depends on the brand and you know what their goals are, right? So. I only say that because a, a brand who maybe wants to expand slowly, um, want, you know, add somewhere between one and five units for the year, obviously your goals are going to be some vastly different than somebody who wants to grow 10, 15, 20 units per year or, or more. Right. Yeah. And, and that would, that would really change the advice that I would give to a client, you know, mm -hmm. what they're depending on what their goals are for growth. Um, but I would say that across the board, making sure that you are well capitalized and making sure that you are comfortable. There's um, there's a lot of sales organizations out there that want you know, want to attract you because the more brands that they have, the better they look, the more they sell. Great. Um, but you know, you need to do what's comfortable for you and, and for your growth and not, and th those things don't always align with a lot of the things that are, you know, in the franchising industry, let's say. Right. And, um, so across the board, the most, most important thing I'd tell somebody who's emerging or, you know, that I see is that sometimes people are a little bit uncomfortable, but they think that it's what they have to do to, to grow. And that's not necessarily true, right? right. Um, and so that's where that's where I find my my biggest stress points at work is trying to you know help my clients understand that they're the drivers, they're the ones that um, determine whether they grow one to five or twenty to thirty um, in a year. It, it's their job. Um. So I, I think that's where where I find the most struggle with the emerging brands is kind of setting, keeping the perspective uh, like balanced, I guess would be the best word and, right. and making sure that making sure that it's easy to have people throw numbers at you and you don't really know what's right or what's wrong. So rely on, on the people who aren't personally invested in you um, doing well, just, I mean, I'm, I'm invested in them doing well, but not financially. Um, so, you know, I always give my clients the, the straight answer, whether they like it or not yeah, and, um, whether it benefits me or not. And so, you know, I think, I think finding people like that within the industry doesn't always have to be your lawyer, but finding people like that, that you can trust that, um, that you believe will give you the best advice is, is also really important as well. Cause there are a lot of people who are very good people and who, have your best interest will have your best interests at heart if you um, forge the relationships well. Right. Do you think there's often like a 
they want they want a certain level of growth but do you feel like sometimes it's not realistic like do you have to try to get them back to reality sometimes and they they have like an illusion of their growth or does that not happen ever oh of course yeah i think everybody goes into it thinking that they're gonna sell 50 a year and you know become the next mcdonald's or subway yeah um not everybody that's not fair to say most people though there's a lot of people who who kind of think that everything's just going to go really smoothly and they're going to, you know, because they are so in love with their business, right. Because it's their baby, they built it, um, that everybody else will feel the same way. Yeah. And that's just not the case. And, um, you know, so trying to reset expectations is, it's difficult. It's a difficult conversation to have, right. Um, it's not easy. And, And I, I will honestly tell you that that I can think of. I've maybe only had this conversation like two or three times formally. Like sometimes I'll just be like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, um temper the temper that those those thoughts. But yeah, um as far as you know the formal conversation goes, I I would say that I try to make those comments kind of more informally so that it's it comes off more as uh less as like, I'm telling you, you're not, it's not going to happen. And more as in, I'm, I just want you to be aware that it's, it might not work out the way that you're thinking. Yeah. And I think like ego gets involved a little bit sometimes and people, and and there's a lot of great brands out there level have a lot of potential, but I think it's also about understanding, you know, you might have a great brand, but there's market conditions, there's things going on in the world economy, you know, there's all kinds of factors that can put some roadblocks there for you. And it doesn't mean you can't be great at some point or expand really far. I think it's just a matter of being realistic with, you know, your buyers, who's out there, what's going on in the world too, right? Oh, I completely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've not worked with a single business where I didn't see value, the value in the franchise aspect of it. Right. Um, You know, some of them are, are industries that already exist and some of them are newer industries, but yeah, I I mean, you know, there are, we live in a world with market conditions and it's not all a bubble. And so, you know, sometimes it just might not be the right time for your particular business to take off. Yep. Um, And sometimes, you know, it's other things like maybe you're just working with the wrong group of salespeople, which is pitching it to the wrong investment groups or, um, you know, the wrong franchisees and, um, you just need a different set of eyes on it. So there's a lot of things out there, but I, I, all of the ideas that I, uh, all of the businesses that I've worked with, I've always found value in something that they're offering and found maybe, maybe their system wasn't perfect, but they're, they're just starting out, you know, it takes time to perfect these types of things. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's usually not the person. Um, sometimes it is, but most of the time it's it's just the presentation of the information which which might hold somebody up. Right. And one of the things I noticed too, like with me when I talk to brands, is that they they love their brand. They're really invested in it emotionally, financially, but they don't know how to communicate that passion or that drive or that, that interest, they don't know how to communicate that to somebody who doesn't know it. 
I think. I think there's a roadblock there. And then I think that's why you need, you need the right content. You need the right messaging. You need the right systems and tools to get people interested in your brand at the level you are. And there's, there's a little bit of a, it takes some tweaking in terms of communication. Would you agree on how to communicate your passion for your own brand to people who don't know it? Oh, I agree. I mean, it's, some, some you you need the right messenger out there, right? So right. Some people are are fa- uh, great operators, yeah, and um, some people are great salespeople. Um, and, and so it's very rare that I've seen that you have both. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think you know, I'm always looking. I'm more of an operator than a salesperson myself. Um, so I'm always looking for things that'll make us more efficient and in, internally and what makes us better and, and things like that. And, um, you know, obviously this day and age, we always look at technology, right? I mean, I can right. use my own business as the example. We don't even have to talk about franchisors specifically, but, um, you know, we're always looking for, for efficiency and how to sell ourselves, right. To, to other, to cl- potential clients, to yep. brands that are established, maybe to uh, franchisees, franchisors, everything. Yep. Um, and and uh, technology is always the first place we look. What can we automate? What can we do better? Um, or you know, what can we take less time doing? Yep. And um, you know, that's for me one of the one of the most important things is you know constant improvement. Or, yep. or constant, the constant seeking of peak efficiency, hundred percent right. efficiency, um, and that's that's kind of, you know, I, I think where I at least where I stand on it. Yeah. Well, this has been a good conversation, Javier. If you're listening to this and you're an emerging brand or a franchisee or a franchisor, and you're just you're just looking for help on the legal side, um, Javier is your guy to talk to. How can people reach you if they have questions, Javier? Yes. So we have a couple different methods. Um, my email is Javier, J-A-V-I-E-R at charterdifference.com. And uh, my our firm's phone number is 888-644-1997. Perfect. But I'll respond to both of them. Great. Well, thank you, Javier. It's been a good conversation. I'm sure we'll talk more and um, let's keep in touch. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Did you enjoy this episode? I hope so. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Ryan says thanks. Your support is appreciated. And hey, even if you don't buy me a coffee, I'm happy to have you listening. So keep it up. And thanks again.